So I usually like to ad lib, but as um, the lovely Cara from Staff Canteen uh, initially introduced us about a year ago, she's written a very lovely, very lovely introduction. So I'm going to read it out. So Anna Howe started her career at Derry Clark's Dublin restaurant and has since worked. Oh, you're going to have to help me out. Uh, well, I don't think we want to hear this, do we? Gulaterio Marsh. So Gualtero Marchese. It's just like probably the most famous Italian chef ever. You know, he got like one, two, three stars. He recreated fine dining Italian cuisine. That's Gualtero Marchese. Yeah, I worked for him. <laughs> okay, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> this is a shame because one of our key stakeholders, Unox, are also uh, Italian. So this is really good. Thank you. It's a good start. Shane Osborne and Phil Howard. Anna has become a familiar face on television, having acted as a guest judge on Gordon Ramsay's Hell Kitchen, starred as part of the relaunch of Ready, Steady, Cook, and also a regular on Saturday Kitchen. And in 2022, made her debut as a judge on MasterChef The Professional. So Anna, thank you very much for joining me. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I hate hearing about myself, so I'm, had that's, I'm happy that's over. <laughs> no, it's fine. Well, I, I don't think you need an introduction, but um, I think uh, we've spoken before and um, we've worked together a little bit as well. And so it's a really good opportunity for us to be able to have a chat. Um, I think about sort of certain situations that we have both experienced and also knowing sort of the fact that we've worked together and what we've done on that, what we've learned over that period of time and what other organizations or operators hospitality professionals can learn from that moving forward. So as a starter for 10, Myrtle has got a, a, a fantastic team, uh, a team of very highly engaged professionals. What is it that you're specifically looking for when you look to hire someone for your team? I mean, the obvious thing that most people mention when they talk about hiring staff is attitude. Um, you know, positive attitude, turning up for work on time, that's all pretty obvious. But there's many times that when you're hiring staff that you're like, oh my God, if they got two feet, two hands, one hand, I don't know, it, it, you know, can they do anything? You would take them. Um, and it's really hard when you're going through stressful periods to kind of make the right shout. So sometimes you're so desperate to hire people, you need bodies, you need numbers to uh, reduce shifts. Uh, but sometimes you, you have to go, you have to kind of weather a hard storm and get the right people in. And for me, a, a, a big thing I'm looking for when I hire a person is that they are looking for this job as a career. It's not a novelty, it's not a curiosity, that they see a future in this, a long-term future. And that is, I think, the biggest factor that will result in somebody becoming fantastic at their job. They have to take it very seriously. They can't have watched a a program on TV and decide that they want to be a chef, they have to see it as a career. So that's an interesting one. So we uh, had Tom Shepard up here on the stage yesterday and we were talking about the language that as current, current hospitality professionals we use about perhaps times where culture wasn't great or perhaps it wasn't seemed a, deemed a serious career and the impact that that's having now on the younger generation who are looking to come through. So what can we do to sort of inspire those who have seen a chef program and who want perhaps the, the, the dramatized version of that. How do we manage that expectation coming into the workplace? It's so hard. As a business owner, you're responsible for so much, like people's safety, people's inspiration, fresh produce, don't break the law. I mean, there's so much that you're responsible for as a business owner. Um, but I think consistency of message, um, a person should always feel 
listened to, and I mean, I don't mean listened to like they're a story, it's, it's more than that. Listened to as in their progression, uh, where their potential is. When a staff member feels that they are seen and heard as a professional, I'm not, like I said, talking in a social aspect. Um, it's not just about being friends. I think that's how you guide them in the right direction. You have to be so mature in how you communicate with them so that as they come in, they see themselves as an employee. Um, when you make the mistake of just befriending them, that is extremely difficult in the long run. Um, I, every person who comes into my kitchen, one thing I always talk about is their potential. So you could get the most talented person coming into your kitchen, um, but if they don't apply the skills, if they don't apply the discipline that you encourage them to do and to have, they will never fulfill their potential. My kitchen is uh, an environment with anybody with potential will absolutely soar. And if they ever get to a place where I feel like I can't take them to the next level, I would encourage them to go to an even better place. Like it's so important that you make people feel that that's their opportunity, but also that they understand that that can be taken away. It mm -hmm. can't just be um, you give, you give, you give, because then you have entitlement and we have a problem of a mixed message where um, it's very hard to pull yourself up if you don't really understand that it comes down to what you do. And it's, it's really complicated. I don't know if I explained that properly enough, but it's really, really difficult to take care of people from a young age. I mean, I'm not talking about mature people. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, point of discussion, which, in fact, my views aside, here's a question for you. As a, a head chef or chef patron, is it the job of that individual to be at the side, on the pass, doing sauces? Or is the role of a head chef now, or a chef patron, an individual who takes more of that mentorship role and sits on the shoulder of the individual and builds them as an individual with their skills, with their confidence, as opposed to just being in amongst it with the rest of the team? I love my job. I love cooking. I love my staff. And I'm not using those words lightly. I am on a section if I can, but I can't because I have to let them do the sections. <laughs> I would rather let any member of staff run the pass because I'm checking the food as it's going up. I love cooking, but I'm invested in my staff. I am on their shoulder. I am talking with them. I'm explaining to them about how they speak to themselves, how it actually has an impact on the food they produce on the future of their career. I'm speaking to them about how they're dressed, for self-respect, not because of a customer will see them. I explain to them about what's good for them, for them, not just for me as a business. Yes, in the long run, my business does better, but I am there for them. And then I'm also on like the meat section, like cooking, and I shouldn't. I should be on the pass, you know, with a ruler and a pencil. But the truth is, I love being in the thick of it. I, but that's the type of leader I am. I yeah. lead by example, and I lead with the wing. I They are under my wing. So on that note, it's you've got a, a you know a successful career uh, both as a business owner as as a chef as a culinary professional but also uh, in the media as well you know you're you're always on the TV which is great to see it's great so how do you go about managing a, a business a successful restaurant as well as managing that how what steps have you taken to to be able to get that balance I have very poor mental health. <laughs> It's okay, we're just there. We're here for you. I have very little personal time. Uh, I am joking. I'm trying to make light of the situation. I, you have to sacrifice something. 
Um, for me to have it all, which I believe I have everything I want, I pause certain things for periods of time. So that will mean I won't see um, certain friends or uh, travel for a period of time so that I can focus on certain aspects of my job. I don't expect anybody who works for me to do any of the sacrifices I do so that they can do their job because I do more than one job, as you explain. I have television, I have cookbook, I have a family, I've got a restaurant, I have other businesses that I, I run. So, you know, realistically, something has got to give. Mm. Um, so that's my choice. But as a business owner, I would never expect any of those compromises for any of my staff. They don't have to compromise anything for their job. So this is an interesting thing, right? I have a very similar relationship with my work and, and often enough things get sacrificed. My wife's over there in the audience at the moment and you know, someone said to her, I said March is the busiest time of year for us. And she goes, I'm probably not gonna see you during March. And there is that, that's okay, I'm the business owner and I'm, there's a goal, there's an objective in mind. But actually, then the other people come to me and say, but you also have to set the example. And if you are sacrificing that work-life balance, and if you are sacrificing your health in the pursuit of that, that goal, how are we setting that example to our teams? And it's, an, it's, it's, an, it's like a do as I say, but don't do as I do mentality. So how do, we, how do we manage that? Well, the truth is, if I didn't have all those other jobs, you don't open a fine dining Irish restaurant without an investor and just think that that's gonna that's going to sort everything, all the bills out in the first year. I, I had to multitask to protect my business. My staff don't have those pressures. And also, I do the rota, so they have to have time off. They only work um, uh, four days a week. And, you know, uh, we close the restaurant a few times a year to make sure that they're guaranteed those holidays. Plus, they can obviously take um, holidays whenever they want for, for the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel I am leading by example of, of what it is to run a good business, to be a head chef. They don't really understand of all the other stuff I do. Like, it, I don't come to work going, oh, I'm so tired. You know, I just get on with it. I'm like, ah, change the menu today, guys. You know, so I feel I am leading by example and I'm not putting my baggage on them. So I'm, I never come in and go, you know, fuck's sake, guys. I, I was working yesterday and I was working the day before and then I got, no, that's not a conversation. When I'm in the restaurant, it's about the restaurant and that's it. Yeah. And when I'm at home, I'm at home. I don't bring work home, amazingly. He's so lucky, right? <laughs> I'm able to put, I'm able to separate things. Um, so I, I feel that it's not normal what we do, um, but I, I wouldn't change it. Mm. I, I really, really thrive in chaos. No, I, I feel it. Like, again, my wife's probably sat there going, bloody hell, it's like the female version of Chris or the male version of you. Um, there is a certain buzz, and I suppose that does beg into the question is, as not just hospitality people, I think in generally, I think in certain individuals, we do find that there's a bit of an addiction to that, that unknown, that stress, that continual adrenaline rush. So I guess um, from a well-being perspective, what's the one thing that you do personally and you've learned over the last few years that, you know, we could keep going or we think we can keep going, but there's going to be boundaries. What's that one thing that allows you to go, okay, no, drop all the levels? stop what's that one self-care mechanism that you have i think it is actually what i just discussed i am able to separate certain things in my life so obviously when there's a super 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 stressful time at work it might kind of carry around with me 
but I'm very able to go, uh, last night was Saturday, today is Sunday, the restaurant's closed. I'm 100% with my family. In general, when I go home, my son like, gets 100% of me. There's no, there's no me like on my phone, flicking, doing, I don't multitask with him. When he's in his nap, yeah, fine, like fucking Spider-Man, Batman combined. But when I'm around him, I give 100% to him and to my partner. And when I'm with my friends, when I do see them, I'm completely immersed. Like, I, I thrive being around people. Yeah. And I feed off them. So when I'm here right now, I'm not worried about work or my, my family commitments. I'm, I'm here and I'm present. And I think that is a, a gift that I didn't do on purpose. That's just kind of the way my brain works. And that is a big part of mental health, is actually being able to kind of give yourself in that moment to what needs to be done. Um, but I also do think if I slow down, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I actually am probably a bad example um, for, for people to follow. But I do think understanding yourself is also a great, like knowing yourself, mm -hmm. you know, is, is yeah. important. And I think it's important to recognize that we're all very different, right? Different resilience levels, different biologies. And so one thing that might be true for some person isn't the same for everyone else. There's no yeah. one size fits all. So it might just be that naturally you're a lot more resilient and you've got a greater level of um, stamina in yeah. these areas and to be able to compartmentalize each section and feed off of that moment that almost propels you into the next moment is, is a skill. You can learn this as well because I was the most negative person in the world, right? Okay. I was terrified. I used to sit in parties with a hood over my head. I wouldn't get involved. I wouldn't talk to people. I used to overthink things, but you can learn to be different. It's a skill. So we've done a little bit of work together, and Michelle Monero, who's a fantastic leadership coach, um, has also worked with us on this. One of the things that any successful business owner needs to do is to empower leadership teams and to empower someone to be their, their right-hand man or woman and take control of their business whilst they're away. In a recent example, you've had to let someone go who you trusted um, in that position, and it's had a detrimental impact, not just on the business, but also perhaps on, on finances potentially to a, to a certain degree. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experiences of how you've tried to help that individual? I think to become a, a good leader or a great leader, good, good is, good's too boring, let's be great, yeah? Uh, you have to make mistakes, you have to make decisions, you, you know, and then look back on those decisions so when you hire a person you you give them the opportunity to to grow and then you try to learn how to communicate with that person so we're all different some people like loads of information some people like no information because mm. they're overwhelmed some people like it when you're really gentle or other people like it when you kind of shout at them not like not in a bad way but some people like kind of big energy you know yeah um and i've learned so much over the years but yes i did have a, a particularly hard lesson there recently where you need to encourage your staff to stay when they should and go when you can't help them anymore. Yeah. Um, and you can't worry about them. They have to, to kind of fly the nest and do their own thing in their own way. Um, because you're not helping them even though you think you're helping them. It's like when your parents, you know, want to overprotect you as a child so like you've moved to i'm 42 years of age and my parents still get me to ask my big sister for advice on everything i'm doing you know and you know that's that's a, a thing that people can do sometimes when they worry they they overthink and and i think 
because I care so much about my staff, mm. I tried really hard to help somebody see the way I think business should be, the way you should carry on in a kitchen. And that person had made a decision to really be quite the opposite, but still work really hard for me and think that that, that was okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I had to make the decision to encourage that person to go and find a, a more suitable job for them because it wasn't going to work out um, together. And that was really hard. And, yeah. Know. And I think the, the reason why I bring that up is that in many organizations, from our experience, if someone isn't performing or they are performing, but culturally they're not right or they need to move on to grow, it's very easy for that organization to go, just you're gone, it's fine. But actually you came to us and said, I want to help. I want mm -hmm. to be, be able to change this and to fix this and to develop this individual more. And so you ended up actually uh, working with a leadership coach specifically to work with that, that particular individual and with the rest of your team as well to benefit mm -hmm. from that. And so from your experience of, of working with Michelle, what's, what were your sort of key takeaways from that whole process? I thought Michelle was great. I did. I thought she was very good. And I think that um, it's an investment to do courses like that. And I think they're really important. I, I completely believe in giving all of your staff even small leadership skills from the time that they're a commie to demi. To, that, you know, you need to build leadership. You don't just yeah. arrive at sous chef and go, <laughs> guess what? You got to know everything now. So it, that's important to kind of do that gradually. And I do it with my team. Um, but I also do think as a business owner, um, you should really follow your, your gut instinct when you know something's not working because you know you can take a horse to water. Um, mm -hmm. So it's about using um, people like Michelle's skills in the right environment on the right people to get the best results because otherwise you know you're just gonna get frustrated and not be happy you know in the at the end of the day but no Michelle was great I really was happy with what she did and her feedback and was, was great yeah. It's good. So I think the, the, the interesting thing is, as business owners is how do, you, how do you identify and how do you know when you care too much and you've lost that sort of professional perspective? It's boundaries. You've got your boundaries. You know what your boundaries are. Someone, you know, you bend your boundaries because people are human, mm -hmm. but you know when your boundaries are being crossed and when you're like, I shouldn't let that happen. Oh, and then and you talk to them because you're reasonable and then you, you, you find yourself in this kind of cycle of being over reasonable, over reasonable. And you're, you're kind of making excuses to justify a behavior of somebody that you think potentially will, will you'll sort them out. But actually, they're, they're breaking your boundaries. Being a business owner, it's like being in any type of relationship, a friendship, um, a, you know, a, a romantic relationship, a family relationship. All of them are built on boundaries. And somebody who repeatedly breaks those boundaries are not good for you and they're certainly not good for anybody else. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one as well because you see people stay in environments that, that are compromising their personal or their beliefs or their, their health. But um, I think, would you say that within sort of the kitchen environment specifically, you're so, I don't like the term institutionalized, but you're so blinkered that that is just the way that life has become. Do you think that that's true within sort of the back of house environments? I don't know. You see, I've been out of the, the other people's game so long. I've been running my own um, kitchens for a very long time now. And I would say that it's like an adult creche, what I run, right? An adult creche where they get to make delicious food and we listen to great music. You know, it's great. Um, but I hear stories that um, 
are exactly like what you're saying. There's stuff that people just accept and they think it's normal. Um, and it is concerning, but I, I can't really focus on that. All I can focus on is on the things I have control over. And that is my kitchen and how I speak to the people who I train as they develop and grow and become leaders, that hopefully they will carry on in that right vein. Um, but it is hard because you do feel the stories you hear would pull people backwards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard for me because I'm out of it. I'm out of that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not saying, I think the, the key messaging um, that we as a, the project try and present is that actually hospitality is a fucking great career. It's probably yeah. the best career in the world. I think what we have is a, is a retention problem not just within organizations, but within the industry, because once we lose someone, once we've hurt them, they leave for good. And we've spoken to a number of individuals who have come by the stand today and said, like, I was, I was hurt. So rather than move the job or move to a different restaurant or to a different hotel, I've left the trade altogether. And now I'm on a completely different side. And I think we need to look at how we retain and investing into leadership and culture and support is, is the way forward, right? absolutely the way forward I think what makes hospitality different than almost any other job is that it thrives off personalities mm -hmm. so with the right leadership and with the right care it's magic it's not like a corporate environment it can't be a corporate environment but you know there's so many creative wonderful people who are, 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 are doing amazing things currently and will go on to do even better things and they have to be protected and encouraged. I love this job. Like I think there's nothing in this world I would rather do. I hope when my son grows up that he becomes a chef or a sommelier or a manager because I think it's a brilliant job. When yeah. I hear chefs say, I'd never let my kids, I'm like, what kind of kitchen are you running? Because yeah, yeah. I'm like, I love my job. And I would like to see my son follow in his mother's footsteps because it's a great job. The harder you work, the more you learn, and then one day you get to be your own boss if you want to. It's a very doable thing. Mm. It's a very empowering job. And your job is to make people happy. Your job is to bring joy to people. It's, it's so satisfying. I agree. So one of the things you mentioned is my final point for this, and this is going to be a complete curveball for uh -oh. you, right? Okay. So, you say that when you're at home, you're at home. You're focused on being at home. You're not at your restaurant. You're not producing beautiful plates of food and great experiences for people. So what do you eat when you uh, go home? <laughs> my fella eats like a king. I wish he was here so I could give out to him and you could all give out to him. I, if he woke up in the morning and said, I want homemade brioche and like a 10 minute poached egg, I'd be like, I'm on it. I. The same I am in the kitchen is the way I am at home. I get great joy giving somebody something to eat that they love. So my son has eaten homemade food since he was born, obviously, um, because I'm a chef. But I love giving him new things. And, you know, I, I, I love seeing his reaction. And even when he doesn't like something, I find it interesting to kind of wonder, why won't you eat a tomato? You know, I had gazpacho cravings when I was pregnant. Like, I drank three liters a day, like, proper uh, cravings. And he, he hates tomatoes. I, I find it interesting to see kind of what makes him tick. But, yeah, no, I, I cook a lot at home. And I love dinner parties, soirees, picnics. I love it all. Lovely. So uh, we'll be over when? <laughs> 
Honestly, just ding dong, and then I'll throw something together. I, I, I love it. Gaspaccio <laughs> surprise, right? I love it. I love it. How to tell someone's a chef by not saying they're a chef, the cravings that they have when they're pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, were there any questions from the audience at all? Anyone have any questions for Anna? I'm going to go run. I'm, I'm go this is like one of those game shows. Yes, madam. Yes. <laughs> I was just wondering, um, who inspires you? Oh my God, the list is so long. Um, I'm, it's not a chef, I have to say. Um, I love people who care about people. So Maya Angelou, she's an amazing poet. Um, some of um, the interviews she has done, I feel has changed my perspective on who I want to be as a person and essentially who I am as a person affects who I am as a leader and then affects who I am as a chef. Um, uh -huh. I find Obama very inspiring. I know these aren't chef people, but I love people who, who get in a position of power and take that and do something else than just something for themselves. Because then in the long run, you are getting something for yourself. Like when you hold a door open for a person and that person's like, oh, thanks very much. You're like, you're welcome. So it's like a win-win. And, and that's kind of how I, I, I live my life. So I, I of course, I'm have been deeply inspired by chefs. My restaurant's named after Myrtle Allen. I could give you a big long list of, of chef-y stuff, but the truth is what really changed me was, was looking outside of our industry. Uh, um, what's his name? Danny Meyer, front of house. He's another person that, my God, never have I ever read a book that I, I could actually feel all of the hairs on my body stand up for the entire book, where I just felt I connected so much with his message of really wanting to give things to people and then, you know, make a living from it. So, great question. Great question. Any other questions? Yes. Hi, my name is Gopal. Hi. So, just I want, I don't have more experience in the UK. Just I want to know, is that nowadays is more complicated in our industry seeing a people, they're ready to work in kitchen. Just they're coming, just it's a job. They want the money, that's it. It's a, before, I have a 23 years of experience. Before, when I work, I will do anything for the job. If 100 people, 200 people is there, if my finger is broken, I'm falling down, it's not an issue. The food is, must go to there. That is uh, my behavior. But nowadays, 99% I'm seeing in the industries, the people not coming with the passion. So they're coming just as a job. They want more money. So if I see a 10 people, 9%, they want more money. They don't have any ambition going as a chef. I'm asking them, in your college, they're teaching you what is a chef, what is a position, nothing. So in your life also, you're seeing somebody, oh, I'm fed up with him. I don't know how to teach. Yeah, it's, I mean, I really understand what you're saying. It's so hard because when you remember how dedicated you were when you were younger and the environments were very negative, things have changed a lot. They've changed a lot now because there are so many amazing restaurants out there. There are so many jobs available. And that's what I mentioned earlier on when you're looking for career chefs. So you're looking for somebody who's willing to work acceptable hours, so 45, 50 hours um, a week for an acceptable wage that is suitable for their training and they're hungry to learn. When a person comes to you and they're just looking for money, they don't know what they want. And that's 
very confusing for them. They are being told, ask for this, do this, but they're not actually looking for the job that they want. I don't know about you, but when I looked for a job when I was younger, I ate in a restaurant and then I, I, I then applied for the job. But they're not doing that because that's not the advice they're being given. So to expect that you can pay a person to be passionate is too much. <laughs> you pay them to come to work, to be professional, to do their job. And if they aren't professional, well then you have to speak to them about not being professional. If they don't come to work on time, you cannot expect them to work with a broken finger. <laughs> That's not a thing. Uh, you can't expect them to go the extra mile. That's not a, a thing you can pay for. That's their decision. Um, I think it's really about having a proper job description and what they need to do. And they know what they need to do before they start. Because if they don't want to do that, well then the job's not for them. But it's likely if somebody just wants money, you know, they're, they don't know what they want and they're probably not the, the, the staff for you. And it's, it's, but it's so hard. I know, I feel your pain. It is really hard. I think the, we, we need to be careful. We were talking about this before we jumped on the stage as well. We need to be careful about our terminology. You know, 99% of people don't want to work. We're using these terms that are signing people off before they've had an opportunity to experience what a good culture feels like or actually to, to have time invested into them or to even have an open dialogue. So when we're using this terminology, let's look for that 1%. Let's look for that, because 1% is probably 20%. It's probably 50% of people. Let's invest that time into them and give them an opportunity to understand it's not about the fast car or the nice watch or the money that they need. It's about how they feel in themselves, how they can develop as human beings give them an opportunity to taste that culture and to spend time on them as if they would be spending time on other people's food. So it's a really, really good question. And also one other thing is that uh, there is pay structure. There is actually appropriate pay for different levels. And kitchens that break those pay structures don't care about the staff, really, because it's likely that the staff will have to do um, a type of job that they can produce far more food than you could produce if you were learning real skills. So it's like a false economy where they think, well, I'm earning this here. But they'll never earn more because you're not learning anymore. So it's really about when you're offering a job to somebody, you've got to be offering them more than a paycheck. You're offering them a future. And if they aren't interested in that, well, you're lucky you dodged that bullet because you'll spend a long time training them and then they're going to leave because someone offers them 50p more. You don't want someone who'll leave you because of 50p more. You know, staff come and work for me and they take a pay cut, not because I don't pay them well. I pay my staff very, very well and they get bonuses, but that they are leaving a job that promised them everything and actually gave them a, a, a lot of stress. There was no staff. They had to work every hour and they were willing to take slightly less pay cut for security, a future, um, um, proper respect. Um, so when you're consistent in your offering, it gets easier. <laughs> That's probably not making you feel any better now because I know the feeling of when a commie chef comes to me and asks for 32K a year and they don't know how to open an oyster or, or, or do brunoise and you're like, holy God, you know, um, but that's what they're getting paid somewhere where they can open a packet and put it in the microwave. So it is really hard, but you know, know what you're offering and stay consistent and, and you'll get the right team. So my old boss always said to me, never ask me for a pay rise. He says, I'll pay you what I feel you're worth. If you think you're worth more than that, 
then that's completely up to you. But ultimately, I will promise to invest time into you, into value your work-life balance, into making sure that you're seen as a human being. And I was like, what a dick. <laughs> like, just pay me more money. But actually, I was with him for four years. And now with my team, I invest time into them as individuals. I help them grow. I like to think I do. Am I doing all right so far? Okay, good. Cool. Um, but it's not about money. And you're right. People are getting paid 80 grand a year for a head chef role. Is that right? Should not me. <laughs> no, and often enough, we're not the ones who are earning. But is that right? Or is it the fact that they're also expected to work 80-hour, 90-hour weeks without... Like you've bought that individual as an item rather than as a human, right? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I have been very well paid in the past, um, but I also know that I, because of how I train people, I was also able to kind of have like a work-life balance as a head chef. Um, so I, I don't know. I think head chef possibly should be paid 80 grand. It depends on the environment. You know, it depends how much the business is making. So when I would go to take a job, I was interested in what the turnover was because that's really should. Be, when you're a head chef, you are bringing in that food um, spend and can increase that, so it is, is appropriate. But um, I don't mind if my staff ask me for a race. I'm very open to the idea of them understanding how things work and actually they are allowed to question me because it makes me question myself to confirm if I'm doing it right or wrong. I really believe in um, like really open discussion with my staff. Mm -hmm. I'd love to open up a restaurant. <laughs> sounds mental, where I would gather up a group of people and we would all own the restaurant together and decide on the roles. And after a year, people could drop out and then whoever's left at the end of the year gets to kind of own the business and see what happens. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> Should who, be a TV show. Who would watch that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. We yeah. have... Because everybody thinks person. they're like, I'd love to be the boss. And then someone goes, what size should the skirting board be? And they're like, what the? I didn't expect that. <laughs> I don't know. And then they spent an hour on Google and they didn't order the meat. And then they're like, this is not what I thought a head chef role would be or a business owner. There's just random stuff that you've got to take care of uh, when you own a business that people have no idea about. It's an interesting concept, though, isn't it? Like the profit share model as well is that actually, like Waitrose, if you work for Waitrose, you get paid as a, as a, a member of the board. Effectively, you get a, a stake in that business. So why shouldn't people who are all looking for the same goal have a, a say in that? You know, for as long term, I'm looking forward to tuning in and watching that. <laughs> Were there any other questions before we wrap this up? Any questions? See, so once you get one... That's it, everyone opens up. Hi. Um, how do you see this, the future of this industry in the next few or five years? In general, I mean, I mean the, all the issues we face right now. I think it's definitely, definitely going to get better. I think it's going to change remarkably in the next 10 years. With technology, we will obviously have uh, humanless cooking going on. Like, there's a lot of things that are going to dramatically change. But the one thing I really believe about hospitality is it is going to become far more valuable. It is one of the few things that really a computer is never going to be able to replace because of the complication of things to do with seasonal produce, the shape of produce, things like that. There is an art form that comes from humans that just, it just 
I mean, in the next few decades at least, we cannot be replaced in a way that you can have artwork designed, whether you like it or not, that you think was done by hand. So if you invest in this industry, you are going to see, I think, a very profitable industry in the long run. Um, but at the moment, we're on our knees. At the moment, it, it does not feel that way. We are short-staffed. Uh, prices are through the roof. Um, it's, it's really, really a difficult time. But for any young chefs or young sommeliers or young waiters out there, what I would say is that if you do your homework now, work in the right places, get the right skills, like proper skills, you will have a very comfortable future. Yeah, I agree. And this is where lobbying government, uh, MP for hospitality, will really come in. I was chatting to a, a Kirk this morning who said it would be really nice for government to start to either A, reduce the VAT bill, which they're unlikely to do again, but start to give money to organizations in the forms of grants so that you can spend it on learning and development and culture and actually give businesses that opportunity on low profit margins to start reinvesting back into their teams. And it's a great idea. And there are people out there who go, it will never happen. But then that's what they said about the topic of mental health and well-being and culture. So we're moving rapidly towards a very fair and equal and just an even better hospitality industry, I reckon. Yeah, I, I do think it's, it's absolutely getting better, but I do think it's getting more complicated. So as people kind of focus on one thing, something else is happening in the sidelines. So you put out that fire <laughs> and then there's another one over there. But I, I do think essentially the, the future of, of our hospitality in industry is, is really bright. I do think it is. As long as we continue with the quest of um, taking care of people, as in if we don't do that, it will all fall apart because it, it won't kind of continue to grow. Because when I was younger, when I first trained, there was a handful of good restaurants and now there's so many and there's so much pressure to keep that up. And if we go down the wrong route, we won't focus on skills and we'll focus on other things. So ultra processed ingredients, getting into fine dining restaurants is very scary. That's definitely where labs and scientists and computers get involved with our food and that's dangerous. You know, there's going to be two types of restaurants in the future, real restaurants, real skills, which you will pay real money for and then ultra-processed food, which is going to destroy us all. It's like the terminator of, of the world. It is so bad for us. <laughs> it's bad for your health, it's bad for your brain, it's bad for your everything. Um, I could do a talk on ultra-processed food if you want, guys. I could do a TED talk on it right now. <laughs> Remember, guys, if you can't say it, don't eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. If you're like, what the hell is... No. Don't buy it. <laughs> There's a sandwich over there that we were reading through the ingredients. I mean, no disrespect to the company, but what the fuck? Yeah. There was stuff in there. And I, yeah. And it was good for you. And listen, that, and it's so bad for your mental health. It is so bad when you repeatedly eat uh, ultra-processed food. It has an effect on your brain. Um, it also has an effect on children's brains, on how they learn. We're, there's not... It is uh, obviously... Um, the information on ultra-processed food is now coming through. And the reason why it's been so slow is because the people who fund these things usually are the people who are involved in it, but they obviously don't want you to know negative effects. So you need outside people doing the studies, um, hospitals and doctors and things like that. Um, but yet, you know, ultra-processed food affects your satiety in every single way. So it's not just about being full. It's about um, being happy and, you know, it's, it's really... Um, it's like a secret kind of epidemic just happening underneath the surface. And I, th I can see uh, 
Chris has an awards ceremony to, to do now and we're keeping him. So, um, Come on, Chris. Let's talk about ultra-processed food. Come on. Come on up, joking. Chris. What's your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when I have a glass of wine, my friends are like, don't start on it. Don't start. And I'm like, just a minute. I just have to get it out. <laughs> uh, Anna, thank you ever so much. No and uh, I'm sure you'll be around for five minutes or so afterwards. So thank you very much. Thanks, Chris.